Well, good morning, everybody. Super good, like really good to be with you. I keep seeing people and waving, and this is what keeps happening today. I keep being so unsatisfied with a wave that I'm trying to like, like I'm a wizard, like wave, love smash people, like I can zap you. So let's all look around the room and just like, just all try it. Let's just try and zap somebody and see if it do a little dramatic shake, maybe. Uh, It hasn't worked for me yet. Um, I actually saw that happen one day, but that's a different story. Uh, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. I'm going to read you uh, three verses here quickly, and then we'll we'll dive right in. When Jesus saw, this is John 11, verse 33, 4, and 5. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? Speaking of Lazarus here. He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see And then Jesus wept. Okay, so uh, we have been, uh, during this season of Advent, looking at the traditional themes of Advent, which are hope, peace, joy, and love. And at the same time, we've been continuing our series on John and seeing how those four uh, themes align with John chapters 10, 11, and 12. Today, the theme of peace, and we're looking in John 11 for that. Um, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and that's a really loaded idea. It's this all-encompassing idea of peace. Uh, it means it means like peace in and over everything. It means all the pieces aligning and fitting together and working as one. It's very, very picturesque and ideal and wonderful sounding, but if I can be also pretty honest, um, it, it's a little bit it's almost a little bit annoying, and I don't mean that sacrilegiously. It's just, it's just so much. Like, um, it is easy enough for my, my mind to hold on to the idea that that kind of peace, shalom, you know, all-encompassing peace from every angle, is something that can happen once the Lord has come and renewed everything and we're in the sweet by and by. Like, I can sort of get my head around that. But right here and now, it is a struggle for me personally to feel like we can pull very much of that at all into our current thoroughly busted reality. It's tough for me. And it's maybe a little trickier 2020 as well. Hey, go in peace. Well, you know, I sure would like to. Um, and beyond that, like, I don't, I don't know how to go for it peace. I don't mean, what do you do? Like, what do you really do in order to go get peace if you don't have it? I've been told to accept peace, to embrace peace, to fight for peace, to be at peace, to go in peace. Yeah, but, but still, same question. What do you do? And it's kind of frustrating, honestly, for me, because um, we're all just so desperate for this peace stuff. I mean, we need it bad. But it's, it's elusive, you know? You know what I mean? Like, it's slippery. And the instructions for it just feel so vague. I mean, it's, a, it's just, it's, they're so broad that it, it doesn't feel like too many instructions. It feels like no instructions when the instructions are so very broad. When somebody tells me to go in peace or be at peace or have peace or accept peace, my heart says yes, but my brain goes, okay, how? Like, I'm totally on board for all of it. Trust me, I want it real bad, but how? And it feels like chasing a ghost. 
You know, and if you're a ghost hunter, you know, which is maybe we could talk about that later, but you know, if you feel like you have enough, maybe weird enough, creepy enough close encounters, then maybe that's enough to keep you believing and keep you searching for it. But then maybe not. You know what I mean? That's a weird illustration. I shouldn't have said that. Now, um, as <laughs> you guys all know, we have, uh, we've got this dog, Tyson. And um, here's the thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my son Bryce, he's 12. He's super good with Tyson. It's awesome. He's potty trained, by the way, now. That's the right response, the correct response, mostly potty trained. Anyway, uh, Bryce is really good with him, and he uh, pulled out a treat, and he said, I'm going to teach him how to sit. And like three minutes later, that dog could sit, just boom. I mean, he watched a video on YouTube, but still, he sharp kid, sharp dog, it worked out. Three minutes, this dog is sitting on command. And then Bryce did what I would have done. He was like, well, that was easy. Let's do another trick. And so he taught him to shake hands. So you sit, and then you do... You do this, right? Or he does. Um, hey, that just took a few minutes. Now he knows two, two tricks. Bryce is excited. Let's teach him another trick. Let's teach him to sit pretty, which that's where you sit with both hands. Or at least that's what we call it. Okay, sit, sit pretty. That went pretty quickly too. Now he's, now he's learned three tricks in one sitting. Bryce teaches him how to lay down which I'm not going to show you how to do that. I think you know, I think you understand. Uh, teach him how to lay down. So in the space of an hour, probably less than an hour, he teaches him four tricks all at once. And he's very excited about it, and he shows it, and there's lots of, lots of clapping in the McCarter household. By the next day, those four tricks were completely jumbled in Tyson's little puppy brain. So that whenever we pull, I mean, he just didn't, they all just blurred together. Whenever we pull out a treat now, that poor pathetic little dog cycles frantically through every trick he knows. He sits, he throws up a hand, he sits pretty, he slams to the ground, he does it all over and over again, just desperately. And I'm glad it happened because it's kind of cute, but it's also really pathetic as he's just frantically cycling through every trick he's ever heard in order to just give me the darn treat. I will do anything. Just give me the treat. Okay, now, um, I think that maybe a lot of us have heard about this whole thing where Christianity provides peace, and we're so desperate for it. We're just so desperate for it that we might end up cycling through every religious trick we've ever heard, frantically working through them, trying to get what we want because we want it so much. Okay, I need peace. I need it desperately. What do I do? I'll go to church. I'll go to church. A lot of people go to church. Uh, Maybe sometimes for the first time in a long time because things got so bad and they were so desperate for peace and they thought, that's a religious trick that I know. Do you want me to go to church? I'll go to church. I'll go to church every week if I'll get some peace. What if I pray? I'll pray a lot. I'll become a monk if I can get some peace. What if I read the Bible? I'll do that. I'll read Numbers. I'll read Leviticus if it will do the trick. I need peace. What if I give away some money? I'll do that. I will do anything I need to do in order to get some peace. And listen, we end up, I think, missing up, missing the point of all those things and probably not finding any peace either in the process. I, uh, I officiated a funeral uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, and I shared this frustration about peace. Like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? How am I supposed to? And it was a hard one, you know, like not all funerals are the same. And this was a hard one. And it almost seems people who are grieving to find peace. It almost seems rude. It almost seems 
offensive to propose peace at a funeral. It almost seems offensive to propose peace in 2020. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to a funeral for his friend Lazarus. And when he gets there, people are doing what people do at funerals. Uh, So there are some people who are just eating, (laughs) because that's how some people do it. Some people are just really, really busy making everything go and feeling integral to the process, and that's how they do it. Some people are deliberately talking about Lazarus in order to process the loss. Some people are intentionally not talking about Lazarus, anything but Lazarus. Um, And some people are weeping and inconsolable. We all act differently at times like that. And theoretically, all of these people, they're all trying, it's why they're there, they're all trying to get some measure of peace. Now, Here's the deal. If you're a church kid, you already know this story. Um, as soon as I said Lazarus, you, you, you know how this goes. Uh, Jesus came to the funeral to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he dropped lots of little hints along the way. He totally knew that was what was going to happen. That was his plan all along. He was about to turn, don't miss this, the funeral into a party. And it was not okay, but it was all about to be like very, very okay. But... Before any of those theatrics, Jesus makes his way around, sees some faces, exchanges some pleasantries, and finds Mary. Mary, who was in just complete agony. And Jesus, this is very, very important. Jesus sat down with her, and he wept with her. He entered into her grief. Um, There's a really important principle here. You cannot miss it. Listen, Jesus knew it was all going to be okay. The party was about to begin. But Jesus still sat with her and wept with her. Listen, you know this, but let's just say it. Just because things are going to be okay doesn't mean that they are okay, right? I mean, there's, I mean, we're, we're trucking on this uh, vaccine. It's coming together. It's going, it's, it's coming. We can be encouraged, but here we all sit looking ridiculous in masks and spread out across the sanctuary with most of our church not here. Things are going to be okay, but just because things are going to be okay doesn't mean that they are okay. And we tend, going back to the funeral scene here, we tend, and we do this reflexively, to comfort people who are grieving. And we'll very often do it the same way. We'll go, shh, 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 shh. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That re- that's the most common response. So we shush them to stop the expression of grief. And we tell them it's okay when it's not. Now, we know things will be okay. Like big time, we know this. That's actually why we're here today. That's why we're still celebrating Jesus in the midst of all this stuff, because the Bible says it and we believe it. Jesus is renewing all things. It will be okay, but it's not okay. And here, Jesus knew for a fact things were about to be a whole lot better and like really soon, but he didn't shush her. And tell her 
that it's okay. It wasn't okay. She was grieving, and so he sat down with her, and he wept with her. Guys, I want you to think about this. Stay with me here. If God didn't comfort us when he knew things were going to work out, he would literally never, ever comfort us. Do you realize that? Never, because things, things are being worked out. Jesus meant it when he said, look, I'm making all things new. In the original Greek, that means, look, I'm making all things new. He knew. He would never comfort us if he didn't comfort us when he knew things were going to be okay. He makes all things new. And he doesn't just have faith for that. He knows that. That's his plan. He's working it out. But he also knows that we are finite. And he personally knows and understands what it's like to live in the midst of that. And just because things are going to be okay doesn't mean that they are okay. So he sits with us and weeps with us and makes sure that we never, ever have to mourn alone. He doesn't sit next to a grieving person and say, why don't you have faith that things are all going to be okay? That's not how he comforts the grieving. He sits with us and joins us in the midst of it because he knows just because things are going to be okay doesn't mean that they are okay for us in our finite space right here, right now. I can't help but stop right now and remind you that tonight at 7 o'clock we're having Blue Christmas. And we're not having Blue Christmas because we don't believe that things are going to be okay. We know things are going to be okay. But we know that in many cases, right now, it might not be okay. And so we make space for that, especially around this season, so that we have the opportunity, the Lord has the opportunity to come and sit with us and weep with us and join us in what's heavy. Does that make sense? Can heads nod? Can I know that I got you at least a little? Cool. All right, next idea. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he was still deeply sad. We saw that. The Bible also says, and we read this as well, um, that he was very, very angry. Uh, the English translations of the Bible, chances are the Bible you brought in here with you today or have on your phone, it really tends to downplay what the Greek actually says, which is that Jesus was boiling with rage. The strongest available language for anger in the Greek language was used here. He was furious, and he was angry at death itself, which is our great enemy, and he was, he was moving in to strike against it. So here's what happened. Jesus heads to the tomb and he's doing, you know what this is, that like determined speed walk when you're heading into a fight and no one's going to stop you. Like that speed walk, here we go. That's what he's doing. So let me ask you something. I want you to think about this. Here we have Jesus who is, as the famous Christmas passage says, literally the prince of peace. And he's doing that determined speed walk. And he is weeping with sadness. And he is boiling with rage. And look, you probably know what it's like. Think about it. That all-consuming feeling when your rage and your sadness slam into each other at the same time. Like how all-consuming that is. All right? When that's, you know what that's like, right? That's where Jesus is in John chapter 11. So here's my question. Was he at peace in that moment? You think about it. Was he at peace in that moment? 
while you think about it, I'll tell you this. For years and years, um, my, my method of, of getting peace um, was to just do all that I could to feel things less intensely than I did. To put especially negative emotions away as soon as possible. And I thought that was working for peace. I was wrong. The Prince of Peace did no such thing. He felt all the anger. He felt all the sadness. He felt all the pain. He chose to. You church kids, you're going to remember that Jesus refused the drink that was offered to him on the cross that could have actually dulled the pain. He did not find peace by numbing anything. Hear that. He did not find peace by pretending things were okay when they weren't okay. He found peace in his knowledge that he was putting things back together and that things were going to be okay. Listen, Jesus was absolutely at peace when he was marching to Lazarus' tomb with his fists clenched with fury and rage and with his eyes blurred with tears, he was at peace. Not because things were okay, but because he was making them okay. He was at peace because, as the text says, he's the resurrection and the life. Jesus was at peace while he was in agony, hanging on a cross and convulsing in pain and gasping for breath while his lungs were filling up with blood, not because it was okay, but because he was making all things new. Listen, being at peace doesn't mean the absence of unpleasant emotions or pretending that things are okay when they aren't. It's about knowing that the Prince of Peace enters into all of those hard emotions with you and that he is making all things new. That was your amen moment. You missed it. Let's try it again. He's making all things new. All right, it's pretty good. I mean, actually, it still wasn't great. Okay. <laughs> so look, I know and believe all that. I hold all that. Um, I'll just, I'll still be honest with you. I still really struggle with these vague ideas of getting peace. I did it still feels like chasing a ghost to me. I don't know how to find peace or have peace or accept peace or go in peace or have peace be with me. Peace be with you. Like it's, like it's something you have to remember to pick up on your way out. Um, they all make sense to me as concepts for sure, but I can't really get a good grip on any of them. Hopefully you're better at it than I am. I have a long way to go. But there is one of these common phrases that are connected to peace that I, I actually can, I, I think I can really get my head around. Um, and it's this, it's this idea that we should know, K-N-O-W, we should know peace. Because, it's, it's like I said at the funeral a couple of weeks ago, um, peace is not a state of mind. Hear me. Peace is not a state of mind. It is not a state of being. It is not a great set of circumstances. You guys could all tell me stories of people who have phenomenal circumstances in their life but have no peace whatsoever. You could also tell me people who are struggling under terrible circumstances and still they manage to have tremendous peace. Peace is not a state of mind or a state of being or a great setup in life. Hear me. Peace is a person. Peace is Jesus. 
And to be honest with you, I don't know how to find peace or choose peace or accept peace or take peace or fight for peace, but I can run to Jesus. I know how to do that. I can know peace because he's my friend. Jesus is peace. He's not some abstract concept to me. He's not elusive or slippery to me. He's my savior. He's my best friend. He's my king. He's my Lord. And I don't, I don't know what lever to pull to make myself feel okay when I'm grieving or I'm scared or I'm angry or my brain wants to panic or numb out or whatever, or try to explain things away. I don't know. But I do know how to turn to Jesus. And when I don't have peace, he is peace. And I can know peace. And I think that works. That works. And if you're anything like me, you can't, you can't just, you know, summon peace in the midst of a storm. But you can go to Jesus. And here's what will happen. He will either come and calm that storm or he will sit with you and hold you until it passes. And either way, that's peace. That's peace in the midst of all of it. Dave, you can come on up. Let me just say one more thing here as I wrap up. I, I recognize um, that me saying, turn to Jesus, might sound as vague to you as someone saying, have peace or, or go in peace. I recognize that. It, it's not to me. It feels different to me, but it might feel that way to you. And so honestly, the only way I can actually address that at the risk of disappointing you is with my own experience. And, and it just boils down to this. And listen closely. I have, I have tried so many times and under so many different circumstances to summon peace, to find peace, to have peace, to get peace. I've just, I, don't, I can't do it. If you know how, let me know. I can't do it. I've never managed to summon it. But, listen, anytime I have ever turned to Jesus in any way, he's always been right there. Always. No, I don't mean it when I say in any way. If I just turn to Jesus in any way, if I turn to him in prayer, in worship, in confession, you know, sort of those religious tricks that we know, we do those things, we turn to Jesus, he's there. I've also found that if I turn to him in desperation or in anger or in confusion or in frustration and I turn to him, he's there then too. In joy, in struggle. I don't know exactly how to tell you to turn to Jesus except to say this, and please don't miss it. Any sincere attempt to do so will work. It will be accepted. Any attempt to move in his direction will be warmly received by the Prince of Peace. If a sincere person turns to Jesus, no matter what they do, it'll work. Because here's the thing. I know we complicate the mess out of everything, but here's the thing. Sincerity is actually all he needs. It's actually all he's looking for. 
Revelation 3, we reference it so often, says so plainly that Jesus is standing outside the door and he is knocking, waiting to be let in. There are no tricks to turning to him. It's just the choice to do so. And all attempts from there are successful. Maybe you can't find peace. If you're like me, you can't. But you can know him. And he will come to you. And he will sit with you enter into whatever you're facing. And maybe the resurrection comes as it did that day with Lazarus. I don't know. God does miraculous stuff sometimes. It's incredible. I could tell you stories all day long. I could tell you about as many where like nothing happened. I could tell you this. I have never, ever, ever, ever been alone because Jesus promised me that I'd never be alone. And it's true.